How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon your shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Blessed is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold. For those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Amen. Thank you, Veronica, for reading that. Um, Good morning and welcome. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Nick. Um, It's my joy uh, to be... Uh, the pastor of the church family here, and it's my joy to be a part of the church family here. And um, uh, my my illness was far less significant than Steve's, but it was a bit ill this week. Um, and yeah, just felt a sense of what what Steve uh, shared as well, just the love of the church community with people who some who didn't uh, know anything about it, uh, being sick and uh, having a bit of a rough time this week, just sent sent messages. Oh, we're praying for you. Um, hope everything's okay, just prompted by God. And so just want to encourage you, if you feel prompted by God to pray for somebody, then that's probably, there might be something going on for them that they need prayer for. Um, and so uh, pray for them, but maybe touch out and, 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 and encourage that. And also someone made us a meal uh, when I was able to stomach food again. Chicken noodle soup was um, delicious and encouraging and nourishing. And um, so I appreciate that. Um, before we pray and jump into to, to God's Word for this morning, I just want to highlight uh, that Alpha is coming up one month from now. Uh, so uh, these flyers, these invitations uh, on, the, on the table in the foyer. And so if you'd like to, you might have been a Christian for a long time, but if you'd like just to jump back into uh, an overview uh, of the Christian faith and questions about life, uh, and meaning, then I encourage you to come along to that. If you've seen Alpha before, been a part of Alpha before, it's a whole new uh, series of, of films um, that aren't just one person standing on a stage talking this time. It's a documentary series um, covering the, the big themes of Alpha. So I encourage you that even if you've been a person of faith for a long time, come along to that. But more so, I want to encourage you... Um, if there's people that you know in our local community that are exploring these questions in their life about what does life mean, is there more to life uh, than, than what it appears uh, on the surface of things, uh, if they're exploring the Christian faith, then I encourage you to invite them along to that. The, the first night is a launch night. They're, they're not signing their lives away. It is a 10-week series, but they can come along to the first night and just try it out and, and see how they go. Uh, with that and um, so I encourage you to to be thinking and praying about who might 
come along to Alpha and, and thinking about actually coming along with someone to support them in that, that journey. So I want to highlight uh, and encourage that um, you to consider that this morning. Um, let's pray, and I, and I want to encourage you now, you know, we don't have kids' church on this morning, so it's a little bit noisier. A lot of our kids are actually away this morning, which hopefully that means they're all coming to messy church with their families this afternoon, which would be fantastic. Um, but it is a little bit more uh, noisy and distracting, but I just want to pray this morning that God still gives us the ability to center in on what He wants to say to us uh, through His Word. It's a blessing to have the children uh, with us. Um, and we are looking forward to, as Dan suggested, that the blessing of them having kids' church next week. But let's, let's pray for God to have His way in us as we come to His Word this morning. Mm. Heavenly Father, we just, we just pause before You this morning. We've sang about Your presence this morning, and we've sang about that being the single thing that we desire above all else. And so we just thank You and pause in Your presence this morning. We pray that um, despite a whole bunch of things in the world and, 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 and things around us that may seek to pull our attention from your presence, I pray that you would just anchor our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our souls in you and your presence this morning. And Father, we pause before your word this morning and we pray that uh, as you declare in your word that that, that it would not go forth and return to you void, that it would accomplish in us what you would have it, have it accomplish this morning. And so I pray this morning that your word would have its way in us, that we would not come to it and go away unchanged. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we throw up the first slide for this morning. Uh, thanks, Pete. I want to begin with the question, what do you crave? What do you crave in your life? What do you desire? And I don't just mean what are the things that you like. Like, what do you have cravings for? Maybe it's, it's food in general. You just get to the point, and we all get, hopefully get to that point where if we haven't eaten for a while, we just really crave food, and our attention turns to eating. Uh, sometimes it's specific food. You can, you can be eating regularly. You're not hungry, but you just really want a pizza. Um, or, or the classic one is KFC, where you spend 90% of your life not wanting to go anywhere near it, but then the KFC craving hits and it won't go away until it's satiated. Some people are like, yeah, some people are like, ugh. Um, some people don't identify with the KFC craving. Uh, for some, the craving is to watch the next episode of that TV show or to watch the, the next movie in that series. You can't wait till the next... Star Wars come out, you're just craving seeing it and you find your attention turned towards it and, and your thoughts are occupied it, you desire it in a way that's beyond the normal. Uh, for some it's reading a book that you, you, you just crave, maybe just reading in general, for some of us we crave, if it's a series, we crave the, the next one of that series coming out. Uh, for some of us we crave intimacy. That, that it's not just uh, we all need intimacy in our life, but for some of us, we just crave intimacy with other people. Some of us crave friends, and some of us crave time away from people, solitude. Some of us are craving a time of financial security. And so this morning, I, I want to encourage you to think about what is it that you crave? 
What is it that you desire in a way that occupies your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, something that you keep coming back to? Maybe it's periodic, maybe it comes and goes like the KFC craving or, or maybe it's something that's there all the time. What do you crave? We all have cravings and I believe we are created with the faculties, with the, the mind, the heart, the, the being to crave. We are, we are created with a, a disposition towards addiction in a sense because we're created to crave. And often we point that craving in the wrong direction. We train ourselves to crave things that aren't necessarily healthy for us or good for us. But, but I believe our, our craving, our desire for things that consumes us is a God-given capacity. And so with that in mind, this morning I want to talk about craving God. From Psalm 84, and I'm actually going to talk about three plus a bonus verse from Psalm 84. But this morning I want to talk about craving God. This morning I want to talk about what it looks like to, to point our God-given ability to desire, to crave, to, to need, to hunger for something towards the presence of God. So craving is about pursuing it's about hungering for, it's about deeply desiring something. And I believe we are created to desire, to crave, to hunger for the presence of God. And so the, the psalmist, the, the writer of Psalm 84, which we're told is uh, the sons of Korah, which um, was an ancient music group by the scenes, and some of you would know the, the sons of Korah, the modern day uh, band that sing psalms in, in more modern day music. But the sons of Korah begin by describing what the presence of God is like. And so they begin by saying, The presence of God is lovely. So in verse 1, as Veronica read, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. And so dwelling place, we could translate that your tabernacle or your temple. It's, it's the place in which God dwells. And so this was written in the ancient context of God's ancient people in Israel where there was a physical tabernacle. That was the tent. That was kind of the temple before there was a temple made out of stone. And, and then the temple represented God's dwelling place on earth amongst His people. It was a place that God's presence was tangibly manifest. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant, which was the center, the, the center, the symbol and the tangible expression of God's presence amongst His people, the temple, the tabernacle, was the place in which it dwelled. Of course, God's presence, as we see throughout the story of history uh, in the Bible and, and even in ancient times while there was a tabernacle and a temple, God's presence wasn't limited to the temple, but it was the place in which God's people understood that God was present. And so when the, the, the psalmist is saying, how lovely is your dwelling place, they're not talking about it's a nice building. They're not talking about it's a really nice tent, though if you do read the ancient accounts in the Bible of, of the tabernacle and the temple, it would have been a, an amazing building to see. But that's not why God's dwelling place is lovely. It's, it's lovely because He dwells there. The, the psalmists are actually saying, how lovely is your presence. How lovely is the place of your worship because the temple wasn't just the place of God's presence, it was the place in which God was worshipped. 
And so we could read in our time, we could read this verse as saying, how lovely is your presence and your place of worship, Lord Almighty. I just want to pause for a moment on that word lovely though. Because I don't know about you, but, but, but lovely is not a particularly strong word in my mind. If we kind of use it in a, in a way that's watered down today. If I cooked a meal for you and, and said, how was it? And you said, oh, it was, it was lovely. Um, that's probably not what we would embrace as the highest praise about it. If, if, you said, if someone asked you, how was your holiday? And you said, oh, yeah, it was, it was lovely. Um, that's, that's kind of good, but it, it's not the, the biggest thing you could say about it. It's not saying the meal was delicious and amazing. It's not saying the holiday was exciting and fantastic and everything I wanted it to be. And so lovely perhaps has lost a, a bit of its weight for us today. And, and so I, I kind of thought, well, lovely, what, what's a replacement word that I could insert in there for lovely? And so I spent some time on thesaurus and uh, I can't read Hebrew, unfortunately, sorry, but, you know, looked up the Hebrew lexicons and what other word could we fit in there? But, but when I looked up the definition of lovely, I, I couldn't help but think, well, actually, lovely is the right word. Because lovely is defined as being exquisitely beautiful. Lovely is defined as having a beauty that appeals to the heart and the mind as well as the eye. Pardon me. Lovely is defined as being delightful and highly pleasing. Lovely is defined as being of great moral and spiritual beauty. And so in this psalm about what the presence of God is like, in this psalm about what it means to crave the presence of God, the psalmist is saying the presence of God is lovely. The presence of God is exquisitely beautiful. The presence of God has a beauty that appeals to the heart, to the mind and to the eye. The presence of God is delightful and highly pleasing. The presence of God is of great moral and spiritual value, of great moral and spiritual value. Sometimes we, we uh, spend so much effort trying to behave right apart from the presence of God when, when the presence of God is of great moral value. The, the, the presence of God is what enables us to behave right. We see we pursue so often right behavior thinking that will allow us to enter the presence of God when it's actually the other way around. Entering the presence of God, pursuing, craving, hungering the presence of God is what enables us to behave rightly. It's what enables us to be spiritual beings. And so the presence of God is lovely. And then the psalmist, the, the sons of Korah, shift from from talking about what the presence of God is like and, and they then shift to what the presence of God makes them feel. They shift towards their attitude towards the presence of God. They describe what it is like to be craving the presence of God. In verse 2, it says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. And courts is another word about the temple, the tabernacle, the, the presence of God. 
My soul yearns, even faints, for the presence of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. They talk about yearning, fainting and crying out for the presence of God. This is emotive language that, that talks about how the psalmists feel about God's presence. Yearning is a, a longing, a craving, a deep desire. It, it's, a, it's a word reserved for the highest of desires and priorities in our life. We might feel like KFC, but it's not something we necessarily yearn for yearning is a word that's about you know the most intimate deep desires in our life the psalmist talks about fainting for the presence of the lord uh, the word the hebrew word for fainting is is a word that means to be completely at the end of oneself to be completely past our point of strength and so that's why we say fainting it's once you get past your capacity you fall over uh, but for, for us it's it's a sense of the psalmist trying to communicate that without the presence of the lord they're at the end of themselves there's there's nothing of value to them there's nothing of strength within them there's nothing of purpose there's nothing of life without the presence of the lord Without the presence of the Lord, the psalmist is saying, oh, we are void, we are empty. They say they, they cry out for the presence of the Lord. The, the Hebrew word here is talking about a ringing cry, a resounding cry, a shouting out, a, a singing. And so the psalmists are crying out for the presence of God. It's, it's not something that they contain within them, it's not a secret desire, it is something that they, they shout out, it's something they need, it's something they broadcast from the mountains. I need the presence of God. It's a yearning, it's a fainting, it's a crying out for the presence of God and it's something that occupies the soul, the heart and the flesh. It's not just a thought. It's not just a, a theological belief. And in fact, though the mind often gets referenced, we're told to love the Lord God with our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. It's interesting that the mind is absent here from that list because this isn't about what we think. It's not about having our belief systems lined up properly. It's, it's not about having the right creed. This is about our being craving the presence of God our soul, our heart, and our flesh. So the flesh refers to our physical body. It's our, our flesh and bones. It's a, it's a corollary that matches up with that idea of our strength. When we talk about our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, it's, it's about our being, our strength, our power, everything about us, in a physical sense, craving God. Our heart is our inner person's. It's it's our emotions, it's literally and metaphorically what makes it tick. And so the psalmist talks about their emotions being completely caught up in craving the living God, about desiring His presence. They talk about their soul craving God. The soul is ourself, it's our psyche, it's our unique identity, it's our personality. 
And so the psalmist here is, is talking about their personality being shaped by a desire for God's presence. That, that if someone was to describe what they were like as a person, that, that something that someone would use to describe them is, well, well, that person is someone who really craves God's presence. That's a key attribute, attribute of their personality. Imagine what it would be look, look like for that to be the descriptor of who you are. If someone were to come and say, in the front row, Abraham, I know I'll pick on you a bit, but this is a good one. Um, well, tell me about Abraham. I don't know much about him. And, and for someone to say, and I think this is fairly true of Abraham, well, there's a lot to Abraham, but something I can tell you is that he's a person who craves God's presence. It shapes who he is. That's what it means to crave God in soul. It's, it's that your personality is intimately connected with this desire. And so the psalmists talk about craving God as, as, as a crying out, as a yearning, as a fainting of the heart, of the flesh, of the soul, and it's a yearning for the presence of God. And, and I want to highlight just the, the final words of this, this verse. My flesh cries out for the living God. So God is living he is a personal being not an impersonal force this is crying out for the presence of a person a person who created the universe who is omnipresent omni powerful omni all the omnis is god he is all of that he is everything but he is a person and so we, we cry out, the psalmists cry out, hunger for, desire, his presence. And I want to highlight this because it's important that, that we keep reminding ourselves that God is a person and not an impersonal force. God is a personal presence, not a, a system of beliefs and ideals. A.W. Tozer, who, who wrote in the 1940s, I believe, uh, wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. And he said in that, uh, I just want to pull a few quotes to that, and he said, To many, God is but an ideal, another name for goodness or beauty or truth, or he is law or life or the creative impulse of the phenomena of existence. To, to many people, God is this, this distant, impersonal ideal or force. And we might nod our heads to that, but, but then Tozer goes on to say, but also for millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is for non-Christians. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. Let me read that again. For millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is for the non-Christian. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. And so I want to say to all of us this morning, God is more than a belief system. He is more than an ideal. He is more than simply a principle on which to base our lives upon.
He is all of that, but He is more. And so I want to encourage us this morning that, that we are called not to live our lives for an ideal or, or try and be faithful to a principle, but to be in a loving relationship with God. See, in my marriage, I'm, I'm not committed to living according to the ideal of Christy. Our marriage has ideals, it has principles, we, we have a covenant, we have a, a marriage certificate, we, we have a system of beliefs about what marriage is, but, but that's not what our marriage is. Our marriage is a relationship. It's the most intimate of human relationships that, that I will experience in this life and it is the person of Christy that I'm committed to. I'm very fortunate to have that person to be committed to. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that, that the pull, the slip is towards shifting from being committed to a personal relationship with the Almighty living God to, to pursuing a set of practices or beliefs or, or an ideal or, or letting God just be the stand-in for goodness in your life. And so I want to call us as a church this morning, back to the single-minded pursuit of relationship with God and a craving for His presence. Because your soul can't yearn for principles or ideals. We, we will never endure living according to a system of beliefs and practices apart from a deep personal relationship with God. Such a Christianity is empty. And it's always been God's desire to have a relationship with us. The, the story of creation begins with God creating us for relationship. The story of creation begins with God walking in the Garden of Eden amongst His created people. The story of the Bible after the, the fall that separated us from God is God seeking to re-establish and pursue relationship with us that reaches its climax in the person of Jesus who tears down all barriers between us and God, not so that we could set up a system of beliefs, not so that we could you know, develop organizations around teaching morals, but so that we could have restored relationship with God. It's God's desire that we have intimate, loving, personal relationship with Him. And so the presence of God is lovely. The, the presence of God is something that the psalmists talk about craving in every possible way. And the good news is that the presence of God is something that all are welcomed into. All are welcomed into the presence of God. The psalmist goes on to say in, in verse 3 of Psalm 84, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. And so the psalmist says, even a sparrow and a swallow has found a place in the temple, in the, in the place where God's presence dwells. And uh, many, many of you would know that I grew up on a chook farm. And one of the, the banes of a chook farm's existence is uh, sparrows and swallows. 
Um, and so there, there's constantly things that you're doing, um, which I won't go into in, for, for in case of the sensibilities of some of us this morning, but, but there's constantly traps and other means of things that you're setting up to deal with a sparrow or swallow infestation. Because they come in and they eat the chook food, but they also spread disease and, and things like that. And so I'm familiar with what a, a sparrow infestation um, looks like. But the psalmists here aren't, aren't talking about an infestation. It, it may have been true that, that the temple had lots of sparrows and swallows living in it. And, and in, in a physical sense, it may have been a problem that they were trying to deal with. That, but, but what he is talking about, what the psalmists are talking about, is that even the, the least valuable creatures have a place in God's presence. In the New Testament, it talks about, Jesus talks about, aren't, pardon me, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? He's saying, aren't, aren't sparrows essentially worthless? yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will and you are worth more than many sparrows is, is the New Testament quote. But, but in its context here, the reference to sparrows and swallows is saying that even the least worthwhile creatures we can think of have a place in your presence, Lord God Almighty. So there may have been sparrows and swallows, but, but the psalmist is creating a metaphor that says even those with the lowest status the least of these, those who have no status in human terms, in cultural terms, in societal terms, those who the world considers to be completely worthless have a place uh, welcomed into God's presence. Not just them, but their children, their families. Our human, cultural, earthly status bring us no greater or lesser status in God's presence. God's presence is a place in which we're all equal. In fact, the, the bonus verse, I said I would read, just focus on the first three verses, but I want to draw your attention to, to verse 10 of this psalm, where it says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Or, or as we're reading it this morning, Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And so the psalmist is saying that it's better to shun human status, it's better to shun worldly status, it's better to set aside any credibility or advancement or gain that we may receive in this life just to spend a moment in the presence of God. There is nothing this world can offer us that is worth stepping outside God's presence. There's nothing this world can offer us that is not worth setting aside to step into God's presence. doesn't mean that earthly status is bad if God's using that for you to advance His kingdom, but, but better is one day in God's presence, worshipping Him with no status than a thousand days elsewhere as the ruler of the world. There is nothing that can disqualify us from entering into God's presence as well. This side of Jesus, we are blessed to, 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 to experience that in a, in a truer sense than, than the psalmist could even 
experience that this side of Jesus, the veil that separated us from the, the, the holy of holies, the, the place in the temple that, that was most representative and most uh, significantly the place of God's manifest presence, His tangible presence, that veil has been torn. The, the New Testament tells us that, that we may enter into the most manifest place of God's presence, the most tangible place of God's presence thanks to Jesus. So this morning, I, I, I want to encourage us all to, to cultivate a craving for God. I said, I began with talking about how, how we, in a sense, are created to crave. And that we often point that craving towards things that are not healthy for us, like KFC um, or pizza or food in general. Food's good for you, but you know what I mean, overconsumption. And in the extreme of that, we, we develop addictions. We, we develop addictions to alcohol or drugs or, or we can develop addictions to, to screens or Facebook or TV shows or, or any kind of things. And, and, and we are created to crave in such a way that we are, in a sense, prone to addiction. And so what I want to encourage us as a church this morning to pursue is, is an addiction for God's presence. I believe, and I'm not a psychologist or, or a psychiatrist or, or, or that, so I'm a pastor, so take it from a pastor's perspective. I believe the reason as a species we are prone to addiction is because we, because we are, were created to be addicted to God's presence. And the reason our... Our addictions for other things continue to grow and grow and grow is because nothing else will satisfy but God's presence. And so I want to encourage you to cultivate an addiction, a craving for God's presence. And, and how does every addiction start? It starts with a first taste and, and then another taste and then another taste and then until you want more and more and more. And, and the thing that, the reason addictions apart from God become so destructive is because we always want more, but more never satisfies. The presence of God is the only addiction that is at the same time completely satisfying, yet there is always more to have. The presence of God is the only addiction that will completely satisfy you yet there always be more to have. In Psalm 42, another famous psalm about, about craving the presence of God, it, it, it talks about that desire as a thirst. In verse 1 and 2 it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And so desiring God is like a thirst or an addiction. And, and I remember reading somewhere in uh, my, my lifelong journey to, to deal with my craving for food that, that often we will crave food, we will think we're hungry, we'll think we'll need to eat, but what we actually need is just water, we're dehydrated. 
Maybe the craving that you have, the desires you have, the, the emptiness you might feel, the dissatisfaction that you might have in your life, maybe you think it's because you lack something else or you need that next KFC or you need that next pizza or you need that next episode to come onto Netflix or you need some time alone or you need some more friends. Maybe it's not about that. Maybe it feels like it's about that, but maybe what you really need is the presence of God. I also remember reading that through the stages of dehydration, you actually get to a point where you're no longer thirsty. That you can get so devoid of fluid in your body that the, the parts of your body that trigger the thirst response just stop working. And that if someone's severely dehydrated, you actually have to convince them to drink water. And, and so maybe for some of us, we are so dry when it comes to God's presence, we've, we've simply stopped craving it. Maybe it's been so long since we've tasted the refreshing drink of the presence of the Lord that, that we don't know we're, we're dehydrated, that we don't know we need a drink. It's so easy to crave the tangible, it's so easy to be distracted by it because it seems more controllable more attainable, but what we truly need is an intimate encounter with the transcendent presence of the almighty living God. And so Eliza's going to come this morning. And I'm just going to invite Eliza to pr play for a while as we pray. Um, and then we're going to spend some time in worship. And, um, because the place, the temple, the presence of God is not just the place of his presence but it's the place of worship and, and so one of the, the the key ways to enter in to pursue the presence of God in your life is to to worship there's lots of ways of doing that but one of the the key ways is to to sing to sing songs another key way is to do that with a crowd of believers because it says where where people are gathered in his name there he is amongst them and and so and so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is, is wherever you are in your life when it comes to craving the presence of God, whether, whether you're in a place of, I am just so thirsty, I'm so addicted to the presence of God, I, 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 I can't live my life without it, whether you're just saying amen, amen, amen to the, to the words of the psalm there, or whether you whether you at the other end of the spectrum, whether you're, you're dehydrated but you don't know you're thirsty. Or, or maybe there's a whole bunch of other things that you're craving and the whole time we've been talking about the presence of God, you're like, yeah, I could really get a pizza. Wherever you are this morning, I, I want to encourage you to a, adopt a posture of seeking and pursuing a taste of the presence of God. And so this morning, you might like to stand or you might like to stay seated. We're going to worship in a moment, but we're just going to spend some time in prayer and, and waiting on God first. What I want to encourage you to do is an adopt a posture with your body that to you represents a seeking of God's presence. in your heart.
Father, we do say amen to the words of the sons of Korah. We do declare this morning that your presence is lovely. Your presence, Lord, is exquisitely beautiful. Your presence has a beauty and appeal to us that captivates our heart and our mind and our eyes. Your presence is delightful and highly pleasing. Your presence is of great moral value and great spiritual value this morning, Lord. We declare that your presence is the most lovely thing there is. So, Father, I pray that whatever the level of our hunger or our craving, our desire, our thirst this morning, Father, I pray that you would fill us with a greater desire. I pray that as individuals and as a church family this this morning, Lord, that you would create within us an addiction for your presence. be at the end of ourselves without it, that we would faint apart from your presence, that our flesh would cry out for your presence, that we would yearn and long for it. And so, Father, I pray this morning as well that you would not just be present with us, you have promised that you are present amongst us when we gather, but We pray this morning that you would manifest your presence among us. That your presence would be manifest in our heart, in our minds, in our soul. That we would not just believe that you're here with the mind, Lord. But Father, that we would comprehend your presence with our heart, with our soul and with our physical being this morning. Father, I pray that that you would make us more aware of your presence. that all other cravings and desires would fall away from us this morning as we grasp hold of the single desire that has any value in life, the desire for your presence. So just take this time now, this this moment, and um, as I said, there's going to be kids, there's going to be noise, there's going to be plenty of reasons to allow yourself to be distracted. I just encourage you to take a moment as Eliza plays, just just to to cry out. You can do it out loud, encourage that, or, or at least in your heart, in your own head this morning, to cry out for the presence of God.
worship and sing one of the songs we sang earlier, but just encourage you that that doesn't mean you need to, to, to pull out of the space that you're in. The words will be on the screen. You can sing and respond, but, but you, can, you can stay where you are in prayer. You can sing your own words. Just, just my encouragement is to continue to pursue the presence of God. In this moment.